Today's daf is Moed Katan, daf Yud Gimel, the last daf of the second parak of Maseches Moed Katan. We are holding at the Mishnah on Yud Beis and Beis. Thank you again to Alicia Graf for giving the shir yesterday. He got up to the Mishnah on Yud Beis and Beis. So today we are going to talk about, the Mishnah is going to talk about gathering different things into a uh, consolidated area and how one must do that bitsina. And then the, but that's going to lead into a discussion of Mechavin Melachta Lamoe, that if a person could have done something before Yantif, but said, yeah, I might as well just wait until Cholomoed. So there is a knas that the person is no longer, will see exactly the nature of the knas, but somehow he's going to lose out if he tries to be Mechavin Melachta Lamoe. The Gemara is going to deal with what about his children? If the person is Mechavin Melachta Lamoe and then he dies, does that knas that we impose on him apply to his children as well? Then the Mishan Yud Gimel Aleph is going to talk about buying things when the mocher is nothing to eat, even though there may be certain limitations on what we're allowed to buy and sell on Cholomoed, but if Nebuch the Mocher needs the Parnasa in order to be able to put food on his table, so there are going to be certain kulas that we have, and the Gemara is going to discuss is the same, whether the same applies when the person's not selling something, but he's a worker, someone that could be hired. Are you allowed to hire somebody if he needs the Parnasa, if he needs to work on Cholomoed in order to be able to put food on the table? The mission on the bottom of Yud Gimelam al is going to talk about moving items out of your house to another Chatzar, into the Chatzar that you, uh, that you live in, bring them, bring things back from the base of Uman, if you have something at the tailor or whatever, to bring, to bring it back home. And then the Mishnah Amad Beis is going to talk about uh, the, the uh, covering dried fruit, if you're afraid that it's going to rain and it's going to ruin the fruit, selling food and selling clothing, cutting grain and beans in order to prepare certain dishes, and uh, the Perik is going to end with a brief discussion about selling spices and when, whether you're allowed to do that in the normal way, or there has to be some sort of shinui in the way that a person sells something in the open market on Chalamoid. And that's going to be the end of the second paragraph of Shem. So let us pick up at the Mishnah. Mishnah on Yudbeis and Beis. Machnis Adam Perosav Mipnei That a person is allowed to gather in his fruits in order to protect them from being stolen. And a person is also allowed to take his flax out of the soaking pool where the flax is soaking in order that it shouldn't get ruined. But provided, and this is one of the key uh, principles of Hilchus Cholamoid, one cannot be Mechavin Malachta Lamoid, he cannot plan ahead to do his Malacha specifically on Cholamoid. And anyone who does plan specifically ahead to do his Malacha on Cholamoid, they get lost, they get destroyed. So, what does that mean exactly, Ye Avdu, that they get lost? Rashi says, that it is Asr for him to get any benefit from it. Meaning, if a person then did that malacha, he loses out. That, that malacha uh, that he did is going to be also for him to ever get any hana'a from. And that's what the Rambam sounds that way as well. In Hilchus Yom Tov, Perek Zayin Al-Chadalid, the Rambam writes, V'chala mechavin malachto v'inichol amoid v'asah b'moed be'zin ma'avidin osah u'mafkirin osah l'kol. Bezin makes it be lost from him and is mafkirit for anybody else. It's gone from that person. However, the Mi'iri explains a little differently. He says, no, Ye'avdu means you lose the chance to do that malacha, meaning even though this were a malacha, that would technically be mutter on Cholomoed, had you not planned ahead to specifically do it on Cholomoed, now that you planned ahead to specifically do it on Cholomoed, and it's now Cholomoed, you're not allowed to do the malacha. But there's no knas that if you do the malacha, 
halacha, the item is going to be lost from you, that the item is going to become asubana, that you're going to have to destroy it or lose it in any way. It's just simply that one is not allowed to do the malacha on chalamoin, and that's how the tour writes as well, and many other rishonim uh, also. The 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 uh, the, the achronim point out that probably the the uh, the the word yeavdu over here relates to the word te'ave that we had earlier in the Mishnah, a line earlier in the Mishnah. We said you're allowed to be sholah pishtonim in a Mishra bishvil shalom te'ave so that it doesn't get lost, that you don't get, uh, that it doesn't get destroyed. So if you can understand that there's a parallel in our Mishnah, bishvil shalom te'ave, it sounds like the Mishnah is saying, and the Mishnah is, is, is telling us over here that if a person is mechavim lachtum lo'ved, he can't, uh, he, he can't do it even if he's going to say te'ave ha'malacha, that I'm not going to be able to do this malacha. But, uh, but not that it's going to create an iser to get Hanah from it. That is the major machlokas rishonim, how to understand our Mishnah. Going back to the first line of our Mishnah, we said a person is allowed to be machnes perosav for the sake of protecting them from being stolen, but even when doing so, he has to be careful to do it privately, to do it quietly, to do it in a way that's not going to draw too much attention. Rav Yosef had beams and he brought them into his house during the daytime, broad daylight. So Amalei Abayi, Abayi said to Rav Yosef, Vatanya, Obulvad Shiyach Nisim B'tzina B'toch Beso. Doesn't the Brisa teach us that you need to do it B'tzina, that these such type of gathering items in cannot be done publicly, it has to be done in a very quiet way. Amalei, so Rav Yosef defended himself, he said, Sina Dahani Yimamahu, that the Tzina of carrying beams would be to do it during the day, meaning the most private way, the most quiet quiet way to carry beams is specifically during the daytime. Why? Since if one were to carry it during the nighttime, you would need extra people to carry it because they don't see where they're going and you'd also need people to carry torches so that they would light up the path for people to carry it. It would end up being a whole, a whole to-do to get people to carry these beams. You need twice as many people. So that's going to be a bigger avshamilsa. It's going to be, it's going to make a bigger ruckus if you carry at night than you carry during the day. So each item has to be judged independently. It's not automatically that daytime is more farhesia. Sometimes nighttime is more farhesia if it's going to require more people. It's interesting, the, the example the Gemara gives is carrying, carrying beams. That's the... Uh, that's the, the, the example the Gemara gives in Hilchas Yichud, in the end of the, uh, in the end of, of Masechus Kiddushin, when the Gemara talks about people who are, uh, who are not, uh, not, not the most refined people, that they, you can't follow the normal numbers in Hilchas Yichud. Normally you assume two men and one woman, it's fine because the two men are not going to do anything in front of each other. But the Gemara says if they're, if they're low lives, if they're people who uh, aren't embarrassed to sit in front of each other, then all bets are off. Then yeah, it's not going to be mutter even with two men. And the Gemara says, and I'll bring you a raya, people steal beams sometimes. What does it mean people steal beams sometimes? In order to steal a beam, you need ten people to carry it. But they're all sitting in front of each other. Aren't they embarrassed? I'm stealing in front of these nine other guys? No, because they're all low lives. They're all a bunch of ganavim. They're all stealing in front of each other. So that's the example the Gemara gives when it takes a lot of people to do a given, uh, given malacha. We, we always uh, give the example of carrying beams. There's also a discussion we showed them over here when we say that the farhesia of carrying beams would 
would be at night, the tzina would be during the day. So Rashi explains that the tzina of the beams is during the day as much as it is at night, since at, at night also would require some level of pirsum, and therefore it's mutter b'yom kimo belayla. It would be as mutter during the daytime as it is at nighttime. I mean, the way Rashi seems to understand it is that it's not that dafka you have to gather them in during the daytime because nighttime is a greater sense of farhesia. It's that since there's a certain element of farhesia during the daytime because it's broad daylight, and there's a certain element of farhesia at nighttime because it will take more, more people, so they become roughly even. They cancel each other out, so it's the same. Whereas uh, the Ran explains probably what would sound like the Pashapshan in the Gemara, that specifically when it comes to carrying beams, the greater sense of farhesia is during the nighttime, and the greater sense of tzina is during the daytime, and therefore dafka has to be done during the daytime. It's not that one has the option to go to, to carry them at, at either time. The Gemara now comments on the next line of the Mishnah, we said that you're allowed to take your flax out of the soaking pool so that it doesn't get ruined, as long as you're not mechavin melachto lemoed. Rabbi Yirmi asked the following Shadow Rabbi Zera. Our Mishnah had said, let's assume like Shitas Rashi, that there is a knas, that if a person is mechavi melachta the moed, he's not allowed to get any anah from that melacha, the whole item has to be destroyed, it has to be ruined. These Fasemis points out probably doesn't mean that the whole item has to be destroyed, but whatever improvements he made through his melacha has to somehow be nullified, so he can't get any anah from the melacha, but if, uh, let's say, he fixed his car on chala uh, so you're not going to say that he has to throw the whole car out, but that whatever malachi he did somehow has to be undone or has to he has to not get hana from whatever malachi he did. So uh, the that's a knas on the individual. What if that individual dies? Do his children have that same knas? Does it carry forward to the next generation, even though they did nothing wrong? So there's always two ways of looking at things. You can look at it that the knas is on the person, and this person did something wrong, so he has the knas, we make him suffer, but the children did nothing wrong. Or you could say the knas, the way the chacham formulated the knas is that it's on the chefza, it's on the item, that this item is now something that you're not allowed to get out of from. The Gemara is going to come up with four parallel cases where we have a knas and try to figure out from those parallel cases whether it applies to Banavachrav as well. So number one, Imtim Tzilomar, Sarim Ozen Bechar, Kansu Bano Achrav, Mishum Daraisa. First parallel case you may want to look at is a case where a Kohen causes a mum on a Bechar purposely. The Allah is that while it is, does not have a mum, the Kohen is not allowed to just shecht it and eat it for himself. But if it has a mum, then he's allowed to take it for himself. So there is an Isra in the Torah, an Isra Daraisa, for a Kohen to specifically be, uh, to, to purposely be Matil Mum on a Bukhar, on a firstborn animal. And if the Kohen is Matil Mum on the Bukhar, well then it's not going to become Mutter, because the Chacham made a Knast, that even though this is a Bal Mum, since he did it on purpose, there's a Knast that he's not allowed to benefit from the animal. What about his child, if the Kohen then dies? Can his child benefit from the animal? The halach is kansu b'no achrav. The knas applies to his child as well. Maybe that should be the same over here then, that we should say for mechav the knas applies to the child as well. The Gemara says, no, that's different. By bechar, it's an isadar raisa that we're dealing with. But mechav m'lachtel is not an isadar raisa, so it's not going to be the same. We don't have to necessarily be as strict when one is mechav m'lachtel Second possible case to parallel, vim tim what about a case where a person sells his Eved 
to an Ovid Kochavim, to a non-Jew, and the halacha is that one is not allowed to sell one's Evid, an Evid Kanani, to a non-Jew, because if you sell your Evid Kanani, the Evid Kanani, while he's working for a Jew, is Chayiv in Mitzvah's Ki'isha, that he has a halachic status of uh, someone who's Chayiv in Mitzvah's, he's chayv, except for Mitzvah's Asman Grama, he's Chayiv in Mitzvah's the same way a woman would be Chayiv in Mitzvah's, but while he's under the jurisdiction, under the control of a non-Jew, he's not going to be able to do all of the Mitzvah's, because his new master may may have demands on him that are not that are going to make him unable to do mitzvah. So that's why a person is not allowed to sell his eved to an oved kochavim. If he does sell his eved to an oved kochavim, then there is a knas. The knas is that if the eved were to ever run away from the oved kochavim, the original Jewish master cannot continue to be mishabed him. He cannot take him back and cause him to work for him, be an eved. You lose out. The person loses him. There's also an additional halacha that the he's required to redeem him, that he has the obligation to try to buy him back from the from the non-Jew who he sold him to. So the, the question over here is what which of those two halachas the Gemara is referring to when we say that we make a knas on the person. Rashi over here in Dibra Maskel Machar says that, this, that, that the case is about Machar Abdu Meis whether if the Evid runs away whether the original master is allowed to bring him back into servitude, or the child of the original master, rather, if the original master dies, can bring him back into servitude. But Rashi on the Rif, in Dibra Maskal Mochar on the Rif, and Rashi in Maseches Git and Daf Memdalid, explain that the suffix is whether we're Kones Beno Achrav, to be poda the Evid from the guy, to pay for the Evid to buy him back from the guy. In any case, even if in that case we are kones b'no achrav, that's not necessarily going to be a raya to our case of mechavin melech delamoed mishum dekol yomah mafkalemi mitzvos. Over there, it may be more severe because each and every day it's building on itself, and he's he's being withheld from being from the opportunity to do mitzvos. As opposed to mechavin melech delamoed, was a one-time iser. Now the iser is over; it's done. It's not building on itself. So it could be that the knas is much more significant over there because the avera is much much more significant. It's very interesting. The two cases that we brought so far, one we said isn't a parallel because it's a more severe Avera. The first case we said was by, by putting being Matum is more severe. It's Daraisa versus Adrabanan. The second case, it's not a more severe Avera per se. That's not what the Gemara highlights, that it's a more severe Avera. What the Gemara is highlighting is that it's an Avera that's going to be consistent. It's an Avera that's going to be in perpetuity. It's going to continue to go on and on. So it's sounds like more of an issue of quantity than an issue of quality. The first issue that qualitatively was a bigger iser. The second, Dechia uh, the Gemara says that quantitatively it's a much bigger iser because it just keeps on going every day. You're being mafkia him from mitzvos. So hachamai over here, what's the din? And the Gemara actually formulates it as a gavra chefza. Do we say that it's the gavra that the kanas is placed on and that gavra is no longer here? Or is it his mamon that the kanas is placed on and his mamon is still here? So Amalei Tinisua, the Gemara says, well, let's take a look at a third parallel. If you have a field that you put, picked out twigs and thorns from the field during Shemitah year, one is permitted to plant that field the year after Shemitah year. Netaiva o Nedaira lo tizra If one fertilized the field 
during Shemitah, then he's not, not allowed to uh, benefit from that field uh, on Motsai Shemitah. And the Daira are two different ways of fertilizing the field, but they both mean to fertilize the field, then he's not allowed to plant a Motsai Shemitah, and that's a Kenas. If a person fertilized the field and then that person dies, his child is allowed to plant that field. So you see very clearly that the Chachamim only made the Knas on the person who did the Avera. The Knas does not carry over to the next generation, to his child who didn't do the Avera. We should say the same thing over here. We should say the same thing about Melachas Cholomoed, that the Knas was placed on him. The Knas does not extend to his child after him. Amr Abayi Naktina Abayi says, I'll give you another example, another parallel case. Time Taharosav Umes. If a person is Metame someone else's Taharos, so that is what we would call a Hezek She'en or Nikr. You're damaging him in a way that is not at all recognizable. Physically, the item that he had is the same. The only problem is it's Truma and now it's Tame, so it has absolutely no use. He's going to have to, not absolutely no use, he's allowed to use it as firewood when he burns it, but he's not allowed to eat it anymore because you've now ruined it by being Metame his Taharos. If a person is Metame Taharosav Umes, the Chacham originally make a knas on the person who's metame someone else's taros, even though technically, strictly speaking, he wouldn't be chayv because he didn't do any physical damage to the other person, but there's a knas that he has to pay for it. What about his children? Do his children have to pay for that debt that uh, their father owed? So, lo kansu the children are not responsible for it. My time, what's the reason? Hezek shein nikr lo hezek. Because hezek shein nikr is lo hezek, it's not considered to be significant damage that would be mechayiv a person to pay so the diday kansu rabbanan lebrei lo kansu rabbanan even though the rabbanan make a knas on the person who causes that hezek shenu nikar himself the person who specifically goes and is metame someone else's taharos the rabbanan are not going to carry that knas over to the next generation there is a major makhluk as we showed him what the definition of hezek shenu nikar is how do we define Rav Chalun talks about this in the beginning of Babasra it comes up when and we talk about planting the very beginning of Babasa, the first mission of Babasa talks about walls between two chatseros. So once we talk about the size of walls, the six tefach walls and five tefach walls, all the different types of walls, it, it gets into a discussion about the type of partition that would be necessary in between uh, planting grapes and planted, where you have grapes planted and where you have wheat planted to avoid the Isser of Kilea Kerem. So in that context, when we talk about the Isser of Kilea Kerem, we talk about Hezek Shein and Nikr, because what if you plant wheat right near your friend's grapes? So it's going to damage the grapes in a very unrecognizable way. The grapes are going to look just as good. They'll be just as delicious. The only problem is they're Asr Ba'na. So in that context, it comes up. What's the Machlokas about the definition of Hezek Shein and Nikr? So Rashi explains Maseches Gitten and the Rambam seems to assume this way in Hilchus Chavol of Mazik is that it physically hasn't changed. Anything that physically looks the same as it did before, that's by definition Hezek Shein Nikr. Tosos, however, Maseches Basra and Dav Bezan Bez, also in Babakama, says that no, it's that people who see the damage happening are not even going to realize that you're damaging something. Meaning, if you see someone taking a sheretz and putting it all all over someone else's taros, you don't necessarily know that the taros were ever huchshel lekabel that they had ever 
ever come into contact with one of the Zion Mashkin that they ever had the ability to receive Tuma. So it could be that even though there's a Sharetz being rubbed all over the, this, this produce, it may be that it's still tar. So that's what makes it a no-nikr. But if it's something that you can, that, that a person who's aware of the halacha would see and would know that the damage is happening, even though physically nothing changes in the item, you see the grapes growing right next to the wheat. Even though physically there's nothing changing in the in the item, that would be a hezek hanikar. That would be a recognizable damage. So the obvious nafkamina is if you saw that the fruits were wet, you saw that there's mayim on the peros, and then you see someone putting a sheret all over the peros. So then if you go with the definition of Rashi and the Rambam that hezek shein nikkers is no physical change, it's still a hezek shein nikkar. But if you go with the definition of Tosos, that would become a Hezekah because anyone who sees it will realize uh, 100% that you're causing serious damage by, by doing that. The, uh, there is a, a sugya, Meseches Gitten Daf Memdalid, where the Gemara says by the case of Tzorim Ozen Bechar, um, that where you, you, you cause a mum, the Kohen causes a mum in the animal, or the case of Machar Avdo, the Gemara says we're not Kones Beno we don't carry over the penalty to the child as well. And the Gemara brings a raya from a from our brisa legabe shmita, the brisa that our gemara quotes about shmita, about fertilizing the field during shmita, that just like there we're not konis benachrav, we're not konis benachrav in those other two cases as well. It's interesting. Both the, in both cases, the first two cases that the gemara quoted as parallels, the gemara says imtim tzilomer that if you're going to say that there is a knas, but it doesn't say that there actually is a knas. In fact, the gemara mesechus gitten says there's no knas, and the raya is from is from the brisa of shmita. So Tosus over there. Meseches uh, Gitten and the Ritva ask, wait a second, how can you prove from Tzorim Ozen Bechar, which is a Daraisa, and from Machar Avdo, where you're being Mafkia Mi Mitzvos? Our Gemara pointed out that those first two cases are different. They're more strict. There's more of a reason to be Kodis Benachrav. So how can you prove from those cases, how can you prove from a case of Shemitah that where we're not Kodis Benachrav, that in, that in these cases you won't be Kodis Benachrav either. In these cases they're much more strict. They're either Daraisa or it's something that's going to be in perpetuity. It's something that's going to continue to build on itself. So there's a reason to be extra Machmir. Rabbeinu Tam suggests that by Shemitah there's also Svara to be Machmir more than the others. The Gemara says in Mesechus Kiddushin, that Shemitah is very, very severe, and therefore there's maybe more of a reason to be Kones but no Achrav. Or you could always go with the other Svara, to Baliatosis point out, that maybe there's more reason to be Machmer by Shemitah because there's more of a concern people will be Mizalzel. Specifically because of its Kula, that might be an extra reason to be Machmer. That because people might, might be uh, less, might take it less seriously, then they'll take other Isurim that are uh, Daraisa or that are going to happen over and over again. Okay, new Mishnah. One may not purchase houses, servants, animals, unless it's for Tzorach unless he needs it for Yantif. Or, unless the seller needs it for his parnasa, he's struggling and that's the only way he's going to be able to have a normal, a normal parnasa. Tosas quotes the name of Rabbeinu Yosef, that the same, even though we highlight specifically, the Mishnah specifically identifies Batim, Avadim, Behema, what about anything else? Am I allowed to buy other things? So Tosas quotes in the name of Rabbeinu Yosef, Huadin, 
other things you're also not allowed to buy the Sarah Chamoid. It's just the the Gemara we're gonna see in the Mishnah and Bays that Mochre Peros are not allowed to be Mochar if it's not the Sarah Chamoid. But the Mishnah Dafka sell spells out these items to tell us the Chiddush that even these things that are Befarhesya, if it's the Tsarah it's mutter. You might have thought that even the Tsarah it's Asr because these are significant purchases. No, if it's the Tsarah even these very significant and public purchases are going to be mutter. What about someone who's a worker and you want to hire him and he doesn't have what to eat? Is that also okay or is it only when you're buying items? Is hiring a worker the same? Gemara is going to have three rayas. Raya number one, Amalei Tanina. The Mishnah had extra words when it says, then it says, Well, what did I think meant? Obviously, meant that he's having trouble having Parnasa. What is adding to the Mishnah that I would not have known from the words? Isn't it coming to tell me that even if it's Stava person who's he's not selling anything, he's hiring himself out and he's that you're allowed to hire him as well? Nah, it's just explaining a little more explicitly what it means when it says but it's not necessarily a different case of a poel. So that's not a good raya. says, I'll bring you another raya. You're not allowed to write a loan document on Cholomoed. But if you don't believe him, or the sofer has uh, doesn't have what to eat, so you need uh, you need you need to s- support the sofer, then you're allowed to write it. Shein lo mayochel asuyemai. What is shein lo mayochel coming to include? What's it coming to add? Lav la isn't it coming to add the phrase shein lo mayochel in that context? Isn't it also coming to add to hire a worker? So it says Gemara Shmamina. Yeah, you see from there that you're allowed to hire a worker when he's in lo mayochel. Most of Rav Says, wait a second, is that really true that you're allowed to hire a worker when it's a case of Elam Ayochal? If that's the case, it would come out to the very interesting conclusion because there is a discussion in Masachas Psachim when one is allowed to do Malacha on Erev Pesach. So the, uh, in the fourth paragraph of Psachim, talks about different minhagim. There are some places that are in a minhag that they wouldn't do malacha at all on Erev Pesach. Even in those places where they had a minhag not to do malacha even before Chatzos on Erev Pesach, there are three umnios, three professions, where people are allowed to work before Chatzos. Hachayatin, v'asaparin, v'akovsin. A tailor, a barber, and a launderer. Why these three professions? So we say, well, the tailor, because we see that tailoring is not such a serious malacha, because you're allowed to tailor. If you're not an expert tailor, you're allowed to uh, to do some sewing, even on Cholomoed. So Erev Pesach, which is less strict than Cholomoed, should for sure be mutter. The barbers and the launderers are allowed to do their work on Erev Pesach. Because sometimes it's mutter to do those things on Chalamoid. When is it mutter? If you have a person who just got out of jail on Chalamoid, he's allowed to get a haircut, he's allowed to wash his clothing on Chalamoid. So then Chal it's going to be mutter on Erev Pesach. 
But if you're going to say that in Chol Moed, you're allowed to do any work as long as the person needs the parnasa, as long as he doesn't have what to eat. So come Malachos Nami is true. Then every Malachos should be mutter because you have Scharpulah Shem Lamayochel. You have someone who doesn't have what to eat. So every Malachos should be mutter if you're really going to say that you're allowed to hire a poel because then every Malachos could technically under certain circumstances be done in Chol Moed. Maskvar of Papa of Papa says, nah, that you can't take that svarayata binyan lishtari. Then you should be allowed to build on Cholamo on Cholamo on Erev Pesach also. Shekin Kosal Hagoa Berushus Rabbim Sosar Bonukadarko Mibnei Asakana. If you have a wall that's that's about to fall down and it might collapse in the Rishus Rabbim and hurt somebody, so because of Sakana you're allowed to build it on Cholamoid. So you're going to tell me that you're allowed to build a wall also. You're allowed to build buildings on Erev Pesach because there is a circumstance where Bona is mutter on Cholamoid. Maskvar Ravina Lameata Lavlor Lishtu. It should be mutter to, 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 uh, to, for a scribe to work on Erev Pesach. Shekim calls from Kiddushin Nashim Gitan Veshovrin, because you write Kiddushin Nashim Gitan and Shovrin on Chalamoid. Uh, so if, as long as there's a malacha that could ever be done on Chalamoid, it's going to be allowed to be done on Erev Pesach, then all bets are off. Everything's going to be able to be done on Erev Pesach. Ella Amar Ravashi, so Ravash says you can't compare the two. Moira Arba Asr Karamis, he asks a steer between Chalamoid and Erev Pesach. The reason for the Yisra of Malacha and is because of the Tircha, that it, it, it takes up a person's time and energy and focus, and therefore, the Rabbanon were willing to be mekel on the Tircha. But on Erev Pesach, it's all about Tzoruch Yom Tov, that we don't want you busy doing Malacha on Erev Pesach, because you need to be busy preparing for Yantif on Erev Pesach. So the Rabbanon allowed that which is L'Tzoruch Yom Tov. They're not going to allow that which is not L'Tzoruch Yom Tov. You can't really compare Cholomoy to Yom Tov. So it's interesting, the, the, the Mishnah that we quoted about the Chayat and the Sapar and the Kovsin specifically made the comparison to Cholomoy and said these Malachos are Mutter because they're Mutter in their face because they're Mutter in certain circumstances on Cholomoy. What the Gemara is saying, Rashi points out, I believe, is that what we have to suggest is that, that, that it didn't really mean that. That's not the Iker Atam. That's, it's just giving a, an additional reason, but the real Iker Atam is what the Gemara is identifying now, that the, that, uh, the, the nature of the Isra Malacha on Erev Pesach is different than the nature of the Isra Malacha on Chalamoid. And when we make the comparison, that's just the Rav Chodimilsa, but it's not really the, the primary reason for the heter of the Chayat and the Sapar and the Kovis. The primary reason for the heter of the Chayat, the Sapar and the Kovis is that they will help you get ready for Yantif. So the whole spirit of the Yisra Malacha of Aner of Pesach doesn't apply to those Malachos that will actually enable a person to be ready for Yom Tov, to get ready for Yom Tov. You should keep in mind, though, this Erev Pesach issue is before Chatzos. After Chatzos, the Mishnah says, not totally on, on Minag. After Chatzos, the Saparim, the person is not allowed to get a haircut. After Chatzos, we pass on Shulchan that after Chatzos and Erev Pesach, the person shouldn't get a haircut. Every year, I always forget to get a haircut. It's right, right before Sphere. I always forget, run back from Mechir uh, Chametz and try to find a barber. It's always a bunch of rabbis there. So he's all the rabbis. We have to see Rabbi Bill there every year. So okay. Anyway, so the Mishnah says, that a person is not allowed to move items from one house to another. But you're allowed to move items from your house to a chotzer. A person's not allowed to bring his items back from the worker, from the from the artisan, wherever he was getting it fixed or. Um, 
or made im but if he's worried that the that he's going to that, that the uman's going to steal it then he's allowed to bring it to to another chatzar to a safe place we start out by saying that you're not allowed to move items at all. And then we say you're allowed to move it to another chatzer. So what's going on? When we say that you're allowed to move it, lechatzero means to a bias within the same chatzer. But uh, but but not to uh, not from one chutzpah to another. We all said you're not allowed to bring kelim back from the base of uman. Amrav Papa Badikl and Rava Rava was testing us once and he asked the following: We have another price that says that you're allowed to bring kelim from the base of uman. You're allowed to bring two and from the base of uman, even if it's not l'tzarech So we gave two answers to Rava's question. Number one, kan one is talking about Erev Pesach and one is talking about Cholamoid that the our mission is obviously talking about Cholamoid it's a mission Moid Katan where we say that Ein Mavin Kelim when we say Mavin Kelim Beis Uman the one that's more makel that allows you bring to and from the Beis Uman even if it's not Litzorah Cholamoid that's talking about where it's not Moid yet it's Erev Yantav it's Erev Pesach that's when it's Mutter or you could suggest both are talking about Cholamoid Kan B'Ma'amino Kan B'Sheinu Ma'amino difference is do you trust the guy or do you not trust the guy if you don't trust him, then you're allowed to bring it back. If you do trust him, the uman, then you're not allowed to bring it back because there's no real tzorech in bringing it back. But Tanya, the Brisa seems to suggest this way because the Brisa says, Mevin Kalim Besu Uman, you're allowed to bring back Kalim from the Besu Uman, Kitgon Kad Mi Bes Hakadar, a jug from the person who makes jugs, the Kosmi Bes Hazagag, a glass cup from the, from, from the person who deals with glass, Avalot Semerim Bes Hatsevavlo Kalim Besu Uman. You're not allowed to bring back wool from the dyer or Kalim from the base uman because that's not considered to be a real tzorah hamoed. But if uh, the guy doesn't have what to eat and he needs to get paid, no You can pay him, but don't bring your item back. Pay him, but leave the item there in in his shop. But if you don't trust him that you're going to be able to pay him and leave the item in the shop and you're going to try to pick it up after Yantav and he's going to he's going to demand payment again, then manicha Then put it in some other house that's close by, you could take it out of the shop and bring it somewhere that's close by that will be safe. And if you're worried that they might get stolen, so there's uh, big girsa issues over here. Uh, the, let's go with Marav Ranchbuk says, Bring it into another chatzar. Well, I mean, I'll read the parentheses. And if you don't believe him, then you bring it so bottom line is, this b'risa tells us very clearly that if you don't trust him, then you're allowed to carry it out of the base of Uman. Rav asked us, our Mishnah says you're not allowed to take anything out of the base of Uman, and the Bryce says you are. So the second answer to that stira that they suggested was it depends if you trust the guy or not. And here we have a Bryce that says exactly like that. Umar says, yeah, but that answer is incomplete. Tirats the Mavian. That explains why you'd be allowed to bring something back from the base of Uman. Malich and Kasha. But bring something to the base of Uman is still a Kasha. That's still a stira. Our Mishnah says you're not even allowed to bring something back. For sure you're not allowed to bring something there. There. The Brisa that Rav quoted says you, you're even allowed to bring something there. That's why we have to go with the first answer that they gave, that the Brisa is talking about Erev Pesach, the Mishnah is talking about Cholomoed, they have nothing to do with each other, they're two totally separate topics, and obviously we're going to be much more mekel on Erev Pesach than we will be 
on Chalamoid. Uh, now the Ritva writes that wherever the Gemara is matir to be molech or maybe kalim from the base of Uman, and uh, wherever the Gemara says Asr, it doesn't make a difference whether it's an Uman Yisrael or, or an Uman Nachri. The, the, the religion of the person who you're taking it from doesn't, doesn't matter because it's not about the Uman, it's about the person who's taking from the base of Uman. Therefore, it comes out according to the Ritva, the Brisa that we had in yesterday's daf, to give Kibolis Lenachri B'moed, to do it after Moed, the Ritva says, is only when you're not going to have to carry anything to his store. But if you're going to have to bring it to his store, then that, then then you're not allowed to give Kibolis Lenachri either. Meaning it's not, uh, even if he's going to do it for after Moed, because just bringing something to the base of Uman is going to be a problem. So it's important to, to put the two sugyas together in order to, to figure out what to do. Now also, the Gemara mentioned over here that if he's Eino Mayochal, so you can pay him on Chalamoid. Why would you have thought you, you're not allowed to pay him? Why, where's the Havim meaning not to pay him. We're not going to talk about paying him. Paying him, of course, is mutter. Magen Avram writes in Tafkof Lamedalid, uh, explaining the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch says to give schar b'moed to the uman for the malacha that he did is not an iser on moed. That's totally mutter. And even if he's yeshel malachal, he has what to eat on moed, still you're allowed to pay him for his work. When the Brisa says, says in Magen Avram, that's only for the sake of the next line in the Brisa, of the Hemshech of the Brisa, where it says, you're bring it to a, to another bias that's uman. So that's what the Brisa writes. This din is only if he's in Mayochal. Because if he has Mayochal, so who says you have to pay him today? Pay him when you pick it up after Yantif. It's not like a uh, you know uh, someone that you hire to do a job. You hire a contractor. You have a little sell, and you have to pay him right away. This guy's still holding on to your item. So the general accepted practice is that you pay upon upon picking it up when you pick up your item. That's when you pay for it. So you don't have to pick it up on Yantif. Meaning, if it's someone that you trust, hang on to your item. You don't have to pick it up on Yantif. You don't have to pay him. But if he's in the Mayochal, then you you may want to pay him, and then you have to figure out if you don't trust him to bring it somewhere else. Last mission in the parak. One can cover up fruit that's drying with straw on Chalamoid. That you're even allowed to cover it up in a different way. The Gemara will explain what the difference between the two is. If you're selling fruits, clothing, Kalim, you're allowed to sell it privately, quietly, if it's L'Tzorachamoid. People who are, uh, who, who are uh, hunters and uh, people who are uh, cutting up grains in order to make porridge and people who chop up beans in order to make other dishes, they're allowed to work betzina for the sake of Moed. Rabbi Yossi Omer, hey mechmir alatzma. Rabbi Yossi says, no, they're machmir on themselves. We'll see what that means as well. There is a machlokas amoraim. Both both shitos say their opinions in the names of Chizkiyah and Rabbi Yochanan. Chadam are on the first line of the Mishnah, where Rabbi Yehuda added that not only are you allowed to be machape the the uh, the dried fruits, you're even allowed to be maave. What's the difference between those two words? So chadam or machapena klushe means to lightly cover it. Maavena smuche means to cover it heavily, to have uh, to have a lot more strength on top of the fruit to really protect it. No, mechapen means no matter how much straw you put on top of it. Ma'avin also so come in Cree. Ma'avin means that you first pile the fruits in one big pile and then cover it up so that not only is the straw you're putting on top of the fruits protecting the fruits from the rain, the fruits are actually protecting themselves from the rain because they're all piled up so the top layer is protecting the lower layers as well. 
Tani Namiyaki, Ma'avin also so Kamin Kri, Divir Rabbi Yuda. The Rabbi Yuda says Ma'avin means that you first make a Kamin Kri, you first pile it up in, uh, in its own pile before you cover it up with something. The Rambam writes, Allah in Parachas Allah Yudalad of Ilchaz Yamtov, that you're allowed to cover up Ketios Bekash Kadesh Lo Yavdu so that they don't get destroyed, and he's not Mechalik between a small amount of Chipoy and a large amount. And now, how much straw you put on it? So the Magen Mishnah explains that we pass like the second Lashon and like the Tanakama, meaning we pass like the Tanakam, which presumably is the majority opinion, and the reason the Ramam allows, even putting a lot of straw in it, is because according to the second Lashon, even the Tanakama allows that. According to the first Lashon, it was only Rabbi Yehuda who allowed putting a lot of straw in it, but we pass like the Ikadam and like the second Lashon. People are selling Kendusa Betzina, Yibailu. And then Rabbi Yehuda said, but on the last line we said that they, they were Machmer on themselves. So what does that mean? When we say does that mean they were even more machmir that they wouldn't do it at all? And uh, even betzina or means that they were machmir not to do a betzina, but really make radin you're allowed to do a betzina. I mean, the first way of understanding is means lahalacha the tanakama is correct, but there are people that are even more machmir than the halacha. The second way of understanding is halacha the tanakama is incorrect. If anyone wants to do like the tanakama, it's a chumrah, and that's people. People were now like that. But it's a chumra. The Allah is that you don't have to do a pitzina. So Tashima. That even though the Tanakama says you're to there were those who were more machmir, meaning like the first wave of saying that that's the halacha, but there were those that are even more machmir that wouldn't even be mochr betzina. Again, even more machmir. The shushe chilka targus vitisni doshin betzina. People who would chop up grains are allowed to do that. Bitsina for Tsarukhamoid, Rabbi Yosem the Shushi Tsipore, Hainakumir Latsman Shlayudoshin Kalikar, that the people in Sipore were even more Mahmir, they wouldn't even do it Bitsina. Amra by Chilka, when we talk about Chilka, what does that mean? It means taking the kernel of wheat and Khadulatarti, cutting it into two pieces, from one to two, chopping it in half. Targis Khadulatlas. That means chopping it into thirds. Tisni, that means Qadla Arba, chopping it into four pieces, into quarters. Kiyasra Avdimi Amar Kunsa. He said, no, that last one doesn't mean chopping it into quarters. It means an entirely different type of grain. It means kosemes, that you soak it. Uh, that's what it means, that you soak the grain. Meisve, Chilka, Targus, Vetisni, Tamei, and Bekalmakom. We said Chilka, Targus, and Tisni are always going to be Tamei. Bishlam, Nand Yamar Chadla Tarti, Litlasul Arba, Mishamakim, Tamei, and Bekalmakom, the Iskasher. I understand if you say that it's just about how much you chop the grain up, whether you chop it in half, in thirds, or in quarters. I understand that's why we're going to say it's always susceptible to tumah, because it, it, in order to chop it, you have to soak it first. It has to get wet. But if you say it's an entirely different type of min, it's kosemes, I might tamein b'kalmakom, kosher. Who says it was ever hukshul the tumah in the first place? The Gemara says, we're talking about where you peeled it. It wouldn't peel if it were not first soaked in water. It's called chilka because it's Become smooth when it's peeled. Meisve, I know 
children are dug on Asraf Bipula Mitzri, Yavesh, Umutabalach. Someone who takes a net that he's not going to have dug on, he's asked to even have Pula Mitzri, a type, of bean, a type of dry bean, but he's allowed to have the moist bean because it's not dug on when it's moist. Umutabaorez, the Chilka Vitargis Vitisni. And he's allowed to have Orez, Chilka, Targis, and Tisni. So Bishlam, Nandimur Chadal Tarti, Chadal Tas, Chadal Arba, Shapri, Dinaf Kulimitaris Dagan. I understand if we're talking about how much you chopped the grain up, I understand why that's okay because it's no longer something that's called Dagan because it's not something you could gather in and pile up anymore like Dagan. But if you know that it's Kunsa, that it's Kosemes, so then what's wrong? Why wouldn't it be called Dagan? It's like anything else that you can gather and pile. Says so Kasha, that's Taka Kasha, and therefore we have to assume that it's chopped up into little pieces. Rafuna allowed Mochri Bisamim, spice sellers, to go to the market and sell in the normal way on Chalamoid. Eisvir of Kahana, so of Kahana asks, wait a second, Chanus Psuchal the Stav, Posech Vinoel Kedarko. If you have a store that's on a side street that opens up to a private area, so then you can open up the store in the normal way and let people come in, because it's already a Shinoi, it's already only uh, opening up to a side area. Psuchal Rishasram, but you have a store that opens up directly into Rishasram, Posech Achas Vinoel Achas. The way you open the store has to be different. You have to open one door and keep the other door closed. The Erev Yom Tov Achron but on Erev Yom Tov Ha'achron Shalchag, on Erev, the last days of Yantif, take all the fruits out, bring them into the market in the public, and uh, the, dress up the streets of Yerushalayim with as many peros, it will be a beautiful thing, on Erev Yom Tov Ha'achron Shalchag. But it sounds like the only reason we allow that is for the sake of Kavod Yom Tov Ha'achron. But if it weren't for the sake of Kavod Yom Tov Ha'achron, meaning if it would have been any other day of Cholamoid, you're not allowed to sell in such a public way, in the normal way, by going out into the markets. So how could it be that, uh, that, uh, that he allowed, that Rafuna allowed them to sell in the normal way? Lo kasha habipiri habitavlin. Gemara says, not a kasha. One, there's a difference between selling fruits and selling spices. If you're selling spices, you're allowed to always sell in the normal way. Now it's interesting, the Rambam, when he quotes this halacha about Erev Yom Tov Ha'achron, the Rambam writes, Erev Yom Tov Ha'achron shell sukkis. That's specifically for Sukkis, the Magnisha explains, because specifically Sukkis is Shmini is Regal Bifnayatsmo. Since it's its own Regal, so you need its own cover that you have to do on Erev Yom Tov Achron. Whereas in Pesach, where it's all one Regal, there wouldn't be a necessity that we'd be so concerned about the cover of the Yom Tov Achron. Hadran Lach Mishavach, tomorrow we'll begin the third parak of Moed Kachon.